Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. I was about to start then with my mic off. Good evening, good evening, edgy folk, and welcome to another fantastic rendition of Star from 101. I feel like the show is actually infamous at this point. And I certainly think tonight's episode is going to be no exception to that rule. For most of us, we are on the cusp of or may have even started our new school year. So it's all kicking off. It's all happening. And with that in mind, I'd just like to remind you of our current sponsor, which is Pearson Edexcel's new French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSE. So some of you will be starting with that this year, hopefully. And it caters to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. It's rooted in learned language knowledge and it's accessible to all. And if you want to find out more about that, you can go to go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Now, I can see that Mr. Tom HB is already in the mix and ready and raring to go this evening. I know Nathan is joining us momentarily, or at least I hope he is. Has he managed to pull himself away from the beach long enough to join us, Tom? Do you know? I don't know. Um, good, very good evening, everybody. It's an absolute delight to be here on Monday, the fourth of September, for our Staff Room One Hundred and One Back to School Special. And as Lucy has said, I am Tom Hopkins Burke, and I am delighted to be with you for the next hour and a half. Now, this show is going to be um, hopefully published as podcast, unless any of us say anything too naughty, um, like Julian Keegan did earlier today. Um, so. Um, a very good evening as well and good day to everybody listening on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts and of course on the website ttradio.org forward slash listen back. And I just wanted to say particularly to the people listening back, teachers, you do an effing good job day after day. Oh, you scared me there. Riding it out. And sometimes, especially school leaders as well, because school leaders, they get a lot of a rubbish and not a lot of a praise and actually school leaders do actually deliver a fantastic job and you know they've been trying to keep their staff safe and their students safe especially in the last few days so I just want to say to every teacher and every school leader you do do an effing good job and none of you sit on your backsides uh, none of you sit on your backsides because we know how hard you are all working at the moment it's been my first day back um, today um, 194 to go um, I am counting down, and yeah, uh, first inset day back. Fantastically, no rubbish, just straightforward. Here's the plan for the next year. Here's the, all of the important sort of logistics, safeguarding, um, you know, freedom of information, GDPR, first aid, whatever, and then just have some time to get your classrooms ready and get your lessons ready for when the kids come back on Wednesday. So 
yeah, thank you to my senior leadership team for giving us the time and just for cutting out all of the nonsense that I've heard that has happened in some schools. One one of my former colleagues had four hours um, on Friday or, or Thursday on flip learning. So that might have caused them to flip out again, a bit like how Julian Keegan did earlier today. One conspiracy theory I heard was that Julian Keegan deliberately said those things in order to detract attention away from the ongoing rat crisis. I'd be very interested to hear what you think. Um, and in before the summer, we did suggest that Julian Keegan could go into staff room 101, but we decided the time was not right. So it'd be interesting to see now if the time is right for Julian Keegan to go into staff room 101. But it's not about me tonight. It's about you and it's about your suggestions. And I am part of a free strong panel of judges. Lucy Newberger has already introduced herself and the other person, of course, is Nathan Ginn. And tonight, Nathan, is a special treat. I won't play the game where I pretend I can't hear you. So, Nathan, over to you. Can you hear me, Tom? Yes. Yes, well, right. Tom, so, but yes, no, I can hear you. Okay, so I want to explain why I was late into this space, right? So I was late in... You'll, you'll have, first of all, Nathan, you will have to pay back the time at the end of the space. So, but carry on. Right, so the reason I was late is because somebody told me I could join from a computer, right? And that now you can join from a computer into a space, blah, blah, blah. You can join from a computer. I've turned on my computer. I've got my microphone set up. I've got my headphones set up. I can't get my computer to join the space. So I am, I'm restarting, I'm doing everything, right? Because I wanted to do this whole big thing, Tom, where I was like at the start of going, hey, 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 guess what, everyone? You can now join our spaces from a computer. And I can't. I could do it false. I could pretend. But if you can join from a computer, turn on your computer, join from a different account, who cares? Like, you know, join in. If you can join from a computer and call in, then you will, I, I don't know, do, do we have any prizes any, anymore, Tom? I've I, got I, dozens of mugs in my cupboard ready to give to you. I want proof, left. though. I want proof, right, that you can join in from a computer. Because I was told you could. I believe people have done it. So unless they were lying to me mm. and they couldn't, and they were actually on a phone. I should also point out as well, uh, it's something we haven't really said, but we do have a merch page on our okay, website. We do. We do. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got mugs, we've got all sorts of things. And um, you know, I really encourage you to go out there and buy a hoodie which says, I hate Hofstede or whatever it says. Um, <laughs> I only I discovered this the other day that we had the merch page. I don't know how I didn't know this. Uh, that's well, where I get all my clothes doing. from. That's where I get all my, all my clothes from. I, like, I was wearing it on like uh, uh, inset days and things. It's TT I think, Radio I think match. I, I think I just need to start wearing it. So, because uh, yeah, the, um, there's some great designs on there. I, ha I had a look the other day, so I need to uh, top up my teacher wardrobe, I think. You, you have to represent. That's what I'm saying. Most definitely. You've Most got definitely. to represent. Turn up, represent. So, right, where uh, are we at? Anyway, so I want to say a really good evening to all of the people listening live on, uh, we can't call it Twitter Spaces, so we'll just call it Spaces because I don't want to say X Spaces because it sounds a bit too seedy. Um, so a very good evening to Walid, to Raz M, to Martin, to David, um, who's a trainee computer science teacher. If you've started just this year, um, just this week, then very best of luck, David, for the year ahead as a trainee teacher. We've got Helen, who's a primary music teacher. We've got um, Callum. Um, who is a subject leader for politics. Very exciting. Another politics subject leader in spaces. I can't wait. And actually, he's very close to me and he's just disappeared. We've got Paul, of course, very loyalist. Now we've got Pat. We've got Sam Dickinson. 
Uh, we've got Miss Evans, um, a staff ring 101 regular, and we have the Edge Foundation as well. A very good evening. Um, so, Nathan, how long have you been back now? Hang on. No, like, Tom, just give me one second. I'm going to leave the space. I've been back in inset today. Inset no, today? I, it says that I can join from my computer. I'm, I'm switching devices. Okay. Give me one second. We'll go okay. on. Lu- Lucy, Seriously, you're... if this... If this is going to be an hour and a half of Nathan trying to do this, I'm going to just boot him from the space altogether. Ooh, we'd have to get somebody <laughs> in to replace Nathan. I, su- I suggest Miss Evans would probably be a prime candidate. Um, oh, yeah, we've got plenty of people who could... Uh, oh, no, he's or back. Or Sam, Hold of on. course. Or Paul. Um, but, yeah, we've got lots of people. You know, we've got our very loyal listeners um, as well. Um, I also want to say... Um, I've had to do. I've had to sort of had some correspondence with Pearson and Excel over some of our remarks and some of our sort of scripts. And I just want to say, we've been absolutely first rate. Um, so big shout out to our sponsors at Pearson and Excel as well. Um, so Lucy, you're in Portugal. First of all, what's the weather like here? Because it's absolutely scorching for UK standards at the moment. Well, we seem to have done a bit of a direct swap because it's it's thunderstorms and and rain here, which is absolutely mad. I mean, it's it was absolutely cracking thunder yesterday. Today it has rained nonstop all day. Um, it is kind of passing through, but it's it's very strange because one is simply not used to such things. Yes, I'll stop was, talking. It was weird. It was weirdly warm here today, and going in to inset with a pair of jeans was probably a not a wise decision oh, um, no. so it will be shorts tomorrow i think um yeah i mean sorry are you oh, no, i suppose on in, are you still on inset are you yeah tomorrow's wear? inset yeah tomorrow's inset as well so you, day, inset so day you can show some knee without getting into trouble hmm yeah well what what's the what's the general rule nothing you can see up down or through i think that's yep. that's the rule um I mean, staff dress codes would be an interesting one for staff in 101. Ties for male members of staff would be a good one for staff in 101. Um, Tom. Tom. Nathan, are you on a computer? I'm on a computer now, right? Now, believe it or not, and like, I, I, you know, maybe you're new to spaces, maybe you haven't used spaces before. Maybe this is all just some kind of like you think you've stumbled into some kind of chaos, which you have. But um, I. I, Chaos, organized chaos. um, I'm 50 50 Um, on that. Um, But. Um, the I'm on a computer. I am on a computer, like a laptop, not on my phone. So I've managed to do it. I, do you know what it was? I restarted the computer, which I feel silly about. But apparently that does, it turns out that it does work. I restarted my computer. Now I am talking to you, not on my phone, on a computer, which means I can do other things. I can update my uh, OnlyFans page for uh, Tom Rogers. And uh... um, Nathan, can I just say, this is the most excited I have heard you, I think, ever. Because of the OnlyFans. No, not because of the OnlyFans, because you're because you're coming to us live from your computer, and I feel that now you're going to the, it can really only go downhill from here. I, I, I these little things, these little things, you know, like amuse like amuse us, don't they? And actually, well, being being able to do this on a computer, so, rather than on my phone, like I like it on my phone when I'm listening, like when I'm right. being a listener and I'm partaking, and I will have my phone on, maybe doing the washing up. Maybe some of you are doing that as we speak. Maybe you're doing a bit of washing up, bit of cooking, got the phone next to it maybe you're doing that but me i'm sat here at like a desk and normally i'm kind of talking into my little phone but now i am i am like okay sad is what it is isn't it i've realized i've tailed right. off yeah back back to things we hate tom back to, um, back to things back to back to, back the, to things the, we the hate speaking of things we hate um big shout out to some of our listeners tom rogers is here for example uh, <laughs> crying out loud 
No, uh, and this is my last night teaching talk radio. Everybody, uh, it's great. Oh, you. Uh, what was that? Where were we? No, we got more listeners, which is great because we've just waffled on for the last ten minutes. Um, so Daisy's turned up. Um, a very good evening to Daisy. She was she's been on um recently. So um, I think she was on Sam's show on Saturday. Um, debut show about mentoring new teachers. So um, thank you, Daisy, for coming on as a guest, and good to see you here this evening. Um. I was about to say somebody who's just disappeared. We've got Jimmy. I don't know who Jimmy is. I, uh, one of my old students is called Jimmy from last year. Fortunately, it's not that Jimmy. Um, who else have we got? We've got Vanessa, MFL teacher. Very good evening as well. And, of course, we've got Hannah Wilson, who has just come from her Twilight show on the joys and not-so-joys of inset days. Um, and I should say, of course, speaking of Podbean and speaking of hosting from computers, one of our hosts hosting from computers at 9 o'clock tonight is Richie Slack um, on the Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. So after you've finished with us tonight, make sure you go and listen to Richie as well. Um, so, yeah, we... Nathan, Tom, um, yeah, just, while we're, just while we're on Richie Slack, I feel like we need to uh, workshop a like a catchphrase him because he has a name that would suit you know like a morning host dj on uh local radio where it's like take, to slack ta- FM. taking in the slack with richie slack or something like that you know i feel like it needs we need a jingle i effects. think that's a bit rich nathan um you know no more slack with richie slack something like that oh, i feel like I'll we need few, like I'll we need those if there are any english teachers in uh, who who want to workshop some jingles for our host? Look, are they jingles? Taglines, you know, like uh, you know, I, I can't think of one. All all the all the Rogering with Tom Rogers. I don't know. Please you never know. say that again. Ever, <laughs> ever, 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 ever. I mean, right. I, I, given that right. we are talking about <laughs> swear words, can we move on? Because professionalism. Yeah. Minutes was going to be about Julian Keegan. Julian... We're thirteen minutes in. We've got two minutes left to talk about Julian Keegan. Um, I, I heard you say you thought some people were saying she did it on purpose to distract from it. If she did, it was the worst idea ever because it hasn't distracted. Like it got mentioned once at my school today and admittedly we're not in England, but it got mentioned once when someone asked our site manager if we had any of that concrete in the building. But I think if like it did not work like to, oh, I'm just going to distract by like pouring more petrol on the fire. That's like the worst idea ever. So if that was her plan, it actually, maybe she is so inept, maybe she is so they are so bad at their jobs that it was her plan and she executed it so badly that that, that was the plan to, to cause a catastrophic mess. Maybe that was the plan. But yeah, if it was supposed to be a distraction, it failed massively. Nick Gibb was on LBC today basically saying that the people who Julian Keegan accused of sitting on their backsides... Um, and basically not helping were a, a small minority of school managers who hadn't submitted their questionnaires on time. Oh, whoop de doo Like, honestly, like, they, 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 how long, how, like, they should have, this information should be somewhere anyway. They could have got to local authorities, they could, you know, or, or academy chains. The fact, it worries me that they've had to send questionnaires out on a, like, a Sunday to school managers, right, and possibly caretakers, you know, possibly like, head teachers, and then blaming them for oh, you didn't the first day of school, you didn't get back to us quick enough. Their toilets might have flooded. They might have had like a you know a bunch of staff with COVID. I a staff member at my one of my very valuable members of staff broke her foot 
she's going to be off for four weeks. Sometimes there's stuff that happens that means you can't return a questionnaire immediately. The reason that they're stressed about it is because they're panicking. So they want it done really quickly. So they're stressed and they're putting that stress onto other people. Oh, it's ridiculous. Julian Keegan also said that there are many other reasons why a school might collapse, not just crack. (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to have to mute myself. Um, And, well, I mean, what else? I mean, yeah. um, Sorry, can I just come back to that, Tom? Yeah, come on, mate. That's an actual quote from the education section. On ITV today. That she said there are other reasons a school Many might fall down. Many other reasons why a school Ma- might collapse. Men. There might be a leak. Her words. But the school shouldn't be... Oh, my God. I can't. I, I okay. mean, we, at what point do we put this woman out of her misery? I don't mean kill her, just to caveat <laughs> that. Um, uh, but at what point do we just go, nah, love, just just, just stop talking. Just just no. So, uh, this... this... <laughs> This is a question then. I want to ask Nathan, I want to ask Lucy. Do we think this time next week, on Monday the 11th, Julian Keegan will still be in post? I think yes. I think she's belligerent enough to... Um, I Well, I mean, I don't think she's going to be got rid of, but they are kind of doing a sort of shuffleroo, aren't they? So... Um, no. Well, they've no, done I the think... mini reshuffle. That's all over. Labour have yeah. done a slightly bigger reshuffle today. Bridget Phillips and still at Shadow Education Secretary. Yeah, isn't we might get some Sh- new school Shadow pieces. Leveling Up Secretary. What a title. I mean, Leveling Up Secretary as well is a silly title. But anyway, that's besides the point. Yes, I do think she'll still be in post because I think she's belligerent enough to 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 be there. I think I don't think she's going to step down because she... Uh, the what she demonstrated today. If you look at her body language and just look at the way she's speaking, when you see um, that that bit of footage, it just screams, "Yeah, I, you know, uh, I, I kind of, I, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say." But she, I don't think she's going anywhere. Sadly, too proud. Yes, that's it. She will never swallow her pride. Will she still be here on Monday next week? I see. I think she has caught herself in one of these catch twenty twos, where she she has a decision to make, which is she either admits that she blames like Rishi Sunak or or someone, and she she and and she does that, which will you know get her moved out, or she looks inept, which then they will have to move her out anyway. So I think she's she's she, you know she she either has to fall on her own sword or she has to blame someone and then be cut down. I, I think, you know, she doesn't stand much chance for me. Mm. Well, you are all here listening tonight, not to hear us about Julian Keegan, but you're here to listen to us talk about speed. Items going into staff room 101. Now, Nathan, for first-time listeners, and we do have some first-time listeners tonight, could you explain what staff room 101 is and why we haven't been sued by the BBC yet? Uh, well, the the suing bit surprises me because I really thought we'd get this. This would be copyrighted off air uh, in no time. But I guess Room One Hundred One is from nineteen eighty four, the the year that we apparently are currently living in. Um, and um, yeah, things that you don't like are in Room One Hundred One. And then there there was also a, a you know a, a 
a TV show, which we don't mention because that's the one that we're a bit sketchier uh, on, whether this is similar or not, because it's education, it's a staff room. So Staff Room 101 works very similarly. We get things suggested into us or we have suggestions. You can call in and suggest something for us to, to debate. Normally, normally me and Tom don't agree, and this is why we are you know, here together at this time, because in effect, he drives me up the wall with some it's of It's all opinions. the show. We actually agree on everything. Um, and and it's gonna... the most beautiful bromance, really, that the world has ever seen. And then we vote. And then we vote. And then it's up to the people listening. Sometimes there's one person gets to decide. But we get rid of that thing. And some of the things we've got rid of before, we have got rid of uh, education secretaries at some points. We have got rid of certain colours of pens. We have got rid of, uh, you know, petty annoyances. Yeah, and uh, the whole range. They can be petty yeah. annoyances, which is generally we, we had, my, we, microphone Didn't we thing. get rid of football at break times? I think that was the most controversial one yet. Yeah, it took three attempts, I think, to get rid of football at break. I think it's Lucy, were you involved in that? I think quite possibly at some point. Can I also just say that Miss Miss T is very patiently waiting in the back. I don't know which which bit she wants to comment on, but uh... yes, Miss T, hello. (laughs) Sorry, um, I was just going to say the word I think Lucy was looking for before about Gillian Keegan um, in that interview was contempt. Her face. That's it. Her face was pure contempt when she was when she was laughing and joking, um, and and that, that's all I was going to say. Apologies. Mm, no, that's all right. You feel free to feel free to hang it. about as well, um, because we're about to suggest our first item for staff room one hundred and one. Now, this suggestion actually came from Lucy, so Lucy will make the initial case for it going to staff room one hundred and one, and it is Lucy. In your words, I think back to school stress. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the there's always sort of a, a, a run up to this, be it a number of inset days, be it, you know, the, the, the tasks that you have to do, be it kind of, um, you know, just worrying about the, the year ahead. And my school has gone through a rough couple of years with um with leadership with management with all kinds of things like that and we've actually got a new head in who i'd quite like to shout out uh, in a similar vein to to you tom who's actually been wonderful really um actually eased us in beautifully and actually really alleviated a lot of the back to school stress but for me it's things like backing boards it's all the little admin tasks and i've still got a list as long as my arm that i've got to do tomorrow and it's all that stuff because we've got open house tomorrow afternoon you know, things like that where you've got to kind of, you know, eyes and teeth with these parents be like, yes, you know, everything's going to be marvellous and wonderful. And never mind all the nonsense that I've just shoved in my cupboard and shut the door. Because um, we were told today that all our rubbish bins were full, that we actually do have to put rubbish in the cupboard. Now, those were the words of our head teacher this afternoon. So that's quite concerning. Um, but yes, I just think that uh, it's very easy to sort of sit here and say, oh, you know, don't be stressed. Everything will be fine. But I want stress to go into staff from 101 because I want people to feel that they uh, that they can only do so much, that you are more ready than you think you are, whether you are at the beginning, whether you are uh, a seasoned pro. And there will be things that will that you won't have done. Your, your book labels may not be perfect. Your backing paper may not be 100% wrinkle-free. Mine definitely isn't. And it's all these things that, you know, you end up worrying about, but actually in the grand scheme of things, once you step foot through that door and once you kind of start talking, once you've got that class in front of you, you know what you're doing. You don't need to stress. So I want it binned, please. 
<laughs> you see, I don't, I don't quite understand this because, yes, we could put back to work stress into staff in 101, and I don't think anybody would be opposed to that because anything to make our jobs easier, throw, you know, throwing away stress is great. But are we actually throwing away the stress or are we causing, are we throwing away the things that are causing the stress? Probably the, the latter. So, yeah, I think the things causing the stress um, or at least finding a way to uh, make it less, you know, make these things less stressful or maybe kind of reducing the number of uh, rubbishy tasks that we have to do before the start of term. So, I mean, this then is quite nicely combines, I suppose, Lucy, with our second entry for Staff in 101, which is four days of training on insects. Yes, I had uh, seven hours of paediatric first aid on Friday, which was quite useful. But things I learned, because they're, they're funny, sort of, I suppose it differs wherever you are. But in Portugal, here's a fun fact for you. If you suspect a poisoning of a child, you can't phone 112, which is the universal European emergency line. You have to phone the equivalent of poison control and ask them for help because 112 will not help you, which I'm slightly concerned about, but... Yeah, so it, I've had useful insert so far. And actually, when I was in um, Germany recently, they were treating um, the Research Ed Conference as uh, as their uh, insert and their CPD. So that was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I think people can get it right, but they can also get it very, very wrong. So I... Oh, I'm on mute. Hannah talked um, earlier today about some of the best and worst of insect. Um, you know, and I've said, you know, you are. I found today's insect really useful, even though it was probably it was more sort of logistics and you know the sort of things we had to do, like first aid and um, safeguarding, etc. Um, but any, from my perspective, and I hope to make something which is quotable to be tweeted out, any insect day which involves sugar paper is a waste of time. Uh, yes, wholeheartedly uh, agree. Um, any insect day which... You see, uh, I, I don't mind somebody standing at the front and telling us what we need to know. As long as it's not death by PowerPoint, though. No, because... death by... Yeah, I, I, people who are engaging and captivating and aren't just reading off slides so but do some, you think sometimes you just need to be told something yeah there's there's some stuff that is deeply dull like you, you go through your safeguarding chat every year you go through your health and safety that's just necessary stuff what about um external speakers tom no i would put external speakers at insects into staff room 101 and i would what, throw all away of them? the tea all of them yes any external if a school invests in its staff properly, you have the talent in-house to be able to deliver your professional development sessions, as far as I'm concerned. And the problem with external speakers, and I'm going to think of somebody who's a very good external speaker, um, Adam Boxer, um, mm -hmm. and he says when he gets lots of requests from people to go into schools and he's and they just and he's told could you do a session on retrieval practice could you do a session on ratio could you do a session on mini whiteboards or something like that but he says as an external speaker he doesn't understand the context of the school he doesn't understand where they've gone and it's very difficult to do that so having staff whether they're senior leaders or middle leaders or tlr holders or you know, experts in a particular thing from within a school who understand the context of a school, who understand the journey the school has gone on in terms of its sort of pedagogical innovations, who understands sort of, yeah, that, that who understands the school and isn't simply coming in with a, you know, off the shelf, 
death by PowerPoint or even if it's not death by PowerPoint, um, forced fun or something like that. Um, it just doesn't work. I remember a couple of years ago, I sat through a series of sessions delivered by external speakers and it just felt as if they weren't tailored to the needs of the school, the needs of the staff, the needs of those children in the particular school because it was the same session they were delivering to all of these other places. So external speakers at insets can go to staff room 101, go into staff room 101 as far as I'm concerned. Now, I appreciate that people will have different views on that and I'd be more than happy to hear them. Uh, is that um, me, Tom? Is that yeah, me? go on, Nathan. This is normally the bit where you disagree, and Daisy would as well. Um, I, well. There is some slight things I disagree with. There's, there's, you know, there is too much, too much stress in teaching, and I, I, you know, I don't want this to turn into a therapy session. But I had a terrible night's sleep last night. I've probably had a terrible night's sleep this whole week, but that's like slightly too much. That's probably my own issues I need to deal with. I'm not saying that's my school's fault, but there is slightly too much. But also, I do need a little bit. Of, of maybe stress isn't wrong I need a little bit of impetus you know a little spark put in me back after the holidays I do need a little bit of get up and go and uh, you know maybe a little bit more than coffee so I do need like a little a little a little a little spark kind of put lit underneath me to get me going again and this leads me on to your, your point there Tom about these external speakers is you know I would question Right. People do deliver stuff. And when we talk about insets and things, and maybe this is a question we can tweet out is how many of you in your insets today or, or yesterday, whenever you had them this week, when you were leading sessions, running sessions, when you were teaching, how many of you saw a uh, do it now task, saw an exit ticket, saw someone on pastor's perch or whatever we call it. So any of those things that, that, that are written in your school improvement plan as your quality first teaching and learning strategies, how many of you saw them or were you in a big hall with one person talking at the front, you know, just, just delivering. And, 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 and there is a gap there. People, you know, that's why I hate a lot of my time at university. I don't like lectures. We, we kind of move past that as maybe a good way of teaching and learning. I know it's adults and it's different or whatever you say, but if that is what you are saying, if you've gone into, and I will paint a picture for you, Tom, you, there will be people in this country who have gone into a big hall where someone at the front has put up a list of non-negotiable quality first teaching strategies, right, where they have all of these things that we have to do to make sure people learn. And they have delivered that in a way that is completely at odds with what they are saying. And that frustrates me. Right. Yeah, this is this is exactly what I was about to say. Why is it teachers and people in education are so bad at delivering CPD? Like if you went into a lesson observation and saw it, you'd it wouldn't get rated highly. Yeah, exactly. This is this, this, Tom, you, you know, when you talk about our uh, external speakers coming in as well, it's what part of the journey for me? You know, where is that in the journey? Is it the wow factor at the start? Is it something to get discussion going? All of those things I can agree with it of. If it's to teach a lesson, then I would argue it doesn't matter if it's an external speaker or someone at your school. If it's a lecture, you're not living up to the thing. You're not uh, practicing what you preach. Yeah, I mean, the best CPD I've been in is when the staff have had many whiteboards and it's been interactive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, I still don't think the external speakers... Hold on, H, HB, can I pause you for a Go second? Go on. 
Do you mean to say that in a CPD session, you have been asked to utilise a mini whiteboard, as in write your answer and hold aloft? That is correct, Amanda. Wow. Uh, uh, okay, sorry. Just just thought I'd clarify. Oh, it's useful. It keeps you, Wait, keeps you uh, Lucy, focused. It's accountability. It stops do people you, dozing yeah. off. Do you disagree with that, Lucy, then, as a, as a thing? Uh, I don't know how I feel about that one. I suppose if it's good enough to use with your kids in class, is it good enough to use for teachers? But then, I don't know, do, would I feel like I'm being treated like a child? I, I think it would very much depend on the context of that CPD. What was the context, Tom? Sorry. It was a session on in maximising ratio in the classroom. Mm, Therefore, okay. mini whiteboards, participation ratio. Yeah. yeah. Very okay. meta, meta, meta CPD. Love it. Okay, fair enough. I'll let you have that one. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't like. I'm not sure about external speakers. I, you know, they don't understand the school, and some external speakers will go into different schools with different contexts and different kids and deliver the same session. And it, you know, and the senior leadership team write the school improvement plan. They know where it is. They have, you know, they can have the training and the resources and the delegation in order to, you know, achieve those things that they want to set out to do. And, you know, if they are essentially saying, look, we're not quite sure, here's an external speaker, they're going to do it instead, it reduces confidence in that leadership team as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so my issue there, Tom, when you described it, what you described to me is a person delivering the same lesson irrespective of the students in front of them. Right. And so I would be saying the same thing, like Miss T said, about whether if that was a lesson that I saw and I went in and they were delivering the same lesson to, you know, their top set as their bottom set as their year 11s to their year sevens, then I'd be saying the same thing. This isn't fit for purpose. But my issue isn't that they're an external. My issue is that it's not tailored to the needs of the people in front of them. Does that make sense? But. The Venn diagram between external speakers and understanding beliefs of people in front of them is a circle. I don't know. See, I've heard some good, you know, maybe this is not like where we get between speakers and advisors and all these different roles that you can have within education. But I have known them and, I, you know, I see people who uh, come in and they talk about the fact that they'll come beforehand, they'll do a, like a little working session, find out what the, the, the school needs, and then they'll they'll <laughs> deliver something and then they'll come back after. And I, I've seen that at schools where I've worked, where someone's come and done more than a one-off. Does that make How sense? How often do you think that actually happens? I don't know. I, I you know, I, 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 you know, thankfully I only do a couple of insets a year. But maybe we could ask that. What are people seeing out in the in the in the listeners here? Is there anyone here who has had really quality experience with an external coming in to deliver CPD? That's my question. Has anybody been an external speaker delivering CPD? In which case, I do profusely apologise for insulting you. Throw um, some I, hands up. I Throw have, some hands I up. Have. Lucy, go on. Well, okay, and I'm not I'm not actually insulting Tom because I think in the way that you're speaking about it, yes, I think it has the potential to be rubbish. But this little adventure that I went on in Germany um, the way it had kind of been organized is that or the way this this particular event worked was that you had um, four sessions throughout the day and within those four sessions you could choose what you went to so there were all kinds of different things on offer of which one of those 
lectures, if you want to call it that, although I tried not to make it too much of a lecture, Nathan, was was mine. And so um, it had been designed to to be their their inset and their CPD. So the staff could kind of as much as they had to they had to be in and they had to go. Um, it was kind of they were all, they sort of had a bit of their own autonomy and that they were able to kind of pick what what they did. Now, of course, this was in a setting where they could pull off something like this and the average school is not going to really be able to pull off something like that unless they kind of um, club together with a particular organiser or can do it in a certain way. So I think in that respect, yes, it, it can work if you've got options like that and you can kind of pick and choose what you go to. But if you're just getting one particular person in to wax lyrical about a particular thing without any kind of knowledge of the school or the environment then that probably is a little bit problematic. Now, Lucy, now Lucy mentioned Germany, so it's a great opportunity for me to remind you that Pearson Ed Excel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs caters to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills through inclusive and relatable content. The new Pearson MFL GCSEs Build a shared cultural capital, not sure if you can hear the size of the background, but help students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. So go and find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL. Daisy. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think that one of the biggest problems with inset is just like a bit of a lack of creativity. Like, why every year have I got to sit through a half an hour, an hour of assessment for learning, think pair share, mini whiteboards. Like, why are we doing, I think that's what makes it like so tedious. And it's like you said before, like with a lesson observation, like, like it would be marked so poorly because it's just so, it's just lacks any sort of creativity. It lacks any sort of engagement. It's just, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Group work is my literal idea of hell. And I would rather sit on nails than use sugar paper, mini whiteboards. Work I was, I was about to ask, are you suggesting we bring out the sugar paper? For the oh my God, no. No. <laughs> but I would like to learn. I'd like to learn. I'd like to stop being told the same thing every year. Don't get me wrong. Safeguarding, first aid, health and safety. But we get it. Fine. No problem. But when it comes to like a little bit of CPD and like internal or external, it's always just seems to be the same thing getting rolled out with a new like name or but it is just the set like today like I literally sat through 45 minutes today of assessment for learning what are the pros and cons of mini whiteboards what are the pros and cons of of um cold calling or I like like can I opt out I should be able to opt out right like that should go into room 101 that is the staff room 101 because that is just it's a waste of time and I think that that's why it's so tedious is because I don't feel like I'm and imagine if the students felt like that, that they didn't feel like they were learning anything. Mm. It'd be grim. I, like, yeah, especially I... when, linking to Lucy's thing, in the back of your head, you've got a to-do list as long as your arm of little stuff that you need to do. And like, oh, I haven't done this and I haven't finished that and I've got to finish this. And I'm sitting here listening to like, just being droned at in a hall for 45 minutes. 
Yeah, I agree. It's very easy to zone out when you feel as if what's being delivered, you either know a lot about or you've heard it before or whatever it might be. It might just be that it's the school's priority for the year and it's the start of the year and they just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. It might be um, because, you know, everybody listening tonight, whether you're live or on, uh, on demand, you know, you're taking your development in your own hands by listening to Teachers Talk Radio and there will be colleagues at every school you know that people are here you know um, who won't do that and might not have the same sort of knowledge on these strategies it it might be that there are ECTs now what's the solution to that you tailor the CPD to those who need it if you've got new members of staff or ECTs you deliver those in twilight sessions Lucy um, I was just going to say, I've just seen some breaking news that apparently Gillian Keegan is defending going on holiday um, in the middle of this whole, well, everything that's going on at the moment, the uh, the concrete, the um, her oopsie-daisy today, um, all the rest of it. So I just thought that was um, Sorry. quite... Uh, Sorry. She she's going on holiday. I think so, so. I just need to double check Andy, that. Hold because I was minute. waiting for you to say you just had some breaking news that Julian Keegan's resigned. And the fact no. that they not the words that came out of your mouth made me incredibly disappointed because we'd have been delighted. So the show had been derailed for the next 50 minutes. That's all no. we'd be able to talk about. I'm, I'm already uh, like derailed, Tom, because look, this is our education secretary who's booked a holiday in the first week of term. Oh, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um... Defence going on holiday despite concrete panel failing emerging last month. So, yeah, oh, so sorry. Okay. Slight, slight change of... Con- of uh, yeah, so she was on holiday in Spain from the 25th of August to the 31st of August. And she knew, already knew about um, several cases uh, regarding this whole concrete situation in schools that was emerging. And yes. yet... Well, so well, she, I've got, so I've she got... went on holiday. She went on holiday mm-hmm. knowing... The storm was coming, and and even ten days before it happened, you know when head teachers still didn't really know. Yeah, yep. went on holiday and is and is able to defend that. Then gets caught on ITV being nothing like if it wasn't so serious, it would be laughable. But it is actually ridiculous. Surely, surely Rishi has got to at this point just be like, right, we need to put her in a bin. Well, we have a quote from a whistleblower um, who has said, and Julian Keegan remarked in February, two months after risk level was raised to high, we just need to keep the lid on this for two years and then it's someone else's problem. Lol. Wow. Imagine one of those schools had come, imagine one of those schools had come down. And uh, she described her language use as choice language. And now HB and I were having a laugh about this earlier. And um, yes, we had, we decided that um, her choice of adjectives was no good and that she needs to revise her use of um, complex sentences. I mean, she's, she, she, she's not getting great depth, even if you're in a school which um, fudges up the numbers on the writing. Um, you know, no. she's, definitely, she's definitely working towards... Right, um... Sorry, deviating massively. Should we uh, decide on this first thing, whether we are binning yes, or so not? Yes, so first of all, again, we've gone off script. So what are we actually proposing we put in? Um, so I think it was kind of a tale of two halves here, wasn't it? It was the um, the things that contribute to preterm stress, but also um, the, the external CPD 
uh, the external speakers for CPD. So there's two things there, really. So given people have talked about their positive experiences of external speakers for CPD, I'm happy that this year it can remain outside of Staff Room 101 unless anybody really violently wants it to go in. Um, I I mean, we can do we want are we going to have a vote or are we going to just let that one go? We should uh, remind people that there are little emojis here that you yeah. can, you know, uh, show your support, your disapproval, your hundreds, which uh, agreement that is, isn't it? Uh, your clapping. Uh, so your, heart, your hearts for Nathan. Hearts. Yep. Anyway, where, so what are we saying about, so first of all, first one was the things that lead to back to school stress. Okay, uh, yes. So, how are we so, voting on that one? Yes. So that could go into yes to start. Yeah, thumbs up for it goes into starting one. Yes. Preterm stress. Yeah. Out. Pre yeah, preterm but, stress. So yes for going in the bin. Go in. No for not. So thumbs down for no. Thumbs up for yes. So everybody gets a uh, gets forced a, participation. The worst part of inset days. Yeah. Forced fun. Got lots of forced fun. So school, everybody. So Darren is voting yes to staff from 101. Mark is just laughing at us. Hello, Cratchley. Lovely to have you in as always. Um, anyone Catherine else was yes. To... Mark was yes. I think it's gone in. Okay, fine. Right. Um, and Hannah as well. Um, second thing was um, whole days of training on inset. So is that going in? Whole days of training. Oh gosh, yes, I'm, that's getting a so yes basically no time to sort yourself out. Give them some time. It, do you know my issue with this, Tom? It shows absolute no trust whatsoever in your staff. If you think that giving your staff any amount of time to do what they work on their own, if you think you have to fill every minute of someone's day, then it, you you have absolutely no trust because I can guarantee the teachers will go back to their classroom and they will work and they will be putting in effort to make things as best as they possibly can for the students now if you believe that if you don't have every session blocked up for that That's day correct. if you don't have them in the off in in the in the hall at 8 30 and then signing out at three o'clock then then you don't trust your staff it is absolutely um that, that I, no one can argue any differently if you are filling people's days with stuff it's because you don't trust them to fill their own and you can quote me on that, uh, Lucy. Tweet that out. If you're filling people's days, it's because you don't trust them to fill their own. I think that's what I said. And and that's appalling. I, I think give people time. I think it's going in then. Whole days of training on inset. Jam-packed insets. No personal prep time. Um, yeah. It's gone in. Lovely. Number three on the list. Are we re ready for this? Well, actually, I'm going to move it about. I want to start with something which might be a little bit controversial, but I'm, it might not be. Let's see. Let, let's test the temperature of the room. Um, I want to put into Staff Room 101 ready. Uh, do we have a drum roll? No. Apparently, hold down to record a custom session. No. Um, drum roll, blah, blah, blah. I'm multitasking. I'm sorry. It's okay. We don't have a drum roll. Knowledge organised. <laughs> I would like to put knowledge organisers into staff room 101. 
Okay, we, we should throw this out there. Is there anyone here who is like uh, loves a knowledge organizer? I'm going to look at the pictures of people and we will go through and we will judge Tom. Okay, it's, it's just 50 50. Oh, I... And I go through uh, as, as we go through, um, who have we got here? Uh, Tom, Rogers. So, Tom Rogers, I bet. Does loves... not like a knowledge Does he not? Organizer. No. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't know. I'd have said loves it. Cratchley hates it. Just strikes me. He, he, yeah. You know, off the cuff. He also hates it. English teacher. English teachers don't like knowledge organisers. Uh, Miss Evans, I think, probably likes a knowledge organiser. Uh, I Lester, don't think Miss Evans has got a strong opinion uh, that would probably go against I think, him. I think he, he would like it. Should I keep going? I, th- I think you can You can judge. Is it subject-based? Do you think it's subject-based? I think a lot of it is subject-based. Um, I think for subjects like English, knowledge organisers are not particularly useful. Um, I think sometimes in history they can be useful, but can sometimes just be a way of actually blocking out the key historical thinking that actually needs to take place, especially at secondary. Maths, I have no idea. Um, and if you are a maths teacher, I'd love to hear from you about whether you find knowledge organisers useful. Um, science as well. I think they might be quite useful in oh, science. I, I think science, MFA, yeah. MFL, vocabulists, you know, um, French to English or Spanish to English or whatever. As a, as a knowledge organiser, that's what I'd be putting in an MFL knowledge organiser. Geography, I think they might be quite useful. But again, come and call in and prove me wrong. It's that bot bottom left bottom and talking about calling in we have mark cratchley who is an english teacher he's going to tell us how i've based on his picture alone mark is going to tell us why he doesn't like knowledge organizers i hate to contradict and surprise but i uh, i disagree actually so go on then <laughs> the floor is yours um it depends on how you're using them so if you're just giving the the knowledge organizers a pre pre-completed they're all there ready with quotes and with um you know extracts and all these ideas on there then I don't know that that's very useful. But what, what I try to do is get the, the classes to build their own knowledge organisers as we go through. And we kind of accumulate this. It's a very collaborative uh, process. So finding the best quotations from the texts, um, looking at critical analysis, looking at context, all those kinds of things, they develop it and they build it themselves. I mean, they're really good then for um, revision exercises and for, um, for practising for assessments as well. Now, Mark, I want to ask you something. Are you familiar with the concept of a working wall? Yes, yeah. So is this not just a tiny working wall? Um, I guess so, yeah, yeah. We don't really use working walls that much, or I don't tend to use them in secondary as much, though. So there, there was certainly I used them in primary, but not so much in yeah, secondary. Yeah, so. that's the only thing I recognised that from. When you were describing it, I was like, that sounds like a primary school, like what we would call a working wall, where as you're going through a topic or as you're going through something, you pull out pieces, you put it up there and save it, and you kind of co-create. And that's maybe not what I think of as a knowledge organiser. Ah. I think of a knowledge organiser as being like a central resource thing that has been someone spent hours making maybe. Yeah. And it's like set in stone, probably printed in in the back of the the students' planners. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, 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 for I the know. schools that I've worked in, the secondary schools at least, anyway, that I've I've only ever seen one or two. And what we tend to do is we blank out um, a lot of the parts and get the students then to fill them in, and we kind of we guide them then to what we think are what we would suggest are the best quotations and that kind of thing. But it's a very much more of a collaborative process, and instead of saying right. Here you go. This is um, this is what you need to learn. Go and do that. And there's there's no um, process. There's no cognitive process. There's no solid 
decent learning in, in that process at all, I don't think. So the, to, the collaborative See, approach is, is much more, like you said, it's, it's like a condensed working wall, but that's the one that works best. See, HB, I'm on the side of a Cratchley working uh, knowledge organiser. I'm a Cratchley organiser. I'm on the side of HB. <laughs> I should patent that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so basically, if they're created by the students as you go through a unit, they're fine. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I think the idea of printing them all out together, saying these are your half to one knowledge organisers for you know all of your subjects, your homework is to basically learn off by rote what's on the knowledge organisers. I think that's problematic, and I, I've seen knowledge organisers used so poorly, and actually they can be quite thin on the ground because you know people try to make them look fancy, try to make them look pretty, and actually forget what the core purpose of a knowledge organiser is, which is that it is the core knowledge that students require in order to make sense of that particular unit. Yeah. Um, also, it can be they re- I, they are useful though those pre-printed ones, those pre um, pre-organised ones, they are useful for for students with high absenteeism or perhaps for students who who might struggle a little bit as well so if you're doing sort of more um, like interventions for example if you've got one of those there it's there ready for the kids to see and to work on um, and you can have a like a discussion with the kids about it with the students about it that way yeah no i think that's fair the thing that i've always struggled with hb here is at what point, right? Because what's the longest uh, knowledge organiser you've seen? Like how what many pages? Long- how many pages? I've never seen a knowledge organiser which isn't on one page. However, I have seen font sizes decrease. Okay, so I've seen them where they go maybe to three pages. And I'm talking about a unit, right? No. So maybe no. like three pages for a unit of work. Okay. And, um, and then if you were to put together all those units of work, say it's science, for instance over a year you've pretty much got a textbook anyway and so i don't know like where, when does a a page from a textbook become a knowledge organizer when does a knowledge organizer in that sense become just part of a larger textbook that you photocopied out yeah no it's at what point does a knowledge organizer become actually it, it the thing about a knowledge organizer document it should be compact it should be organized into certain sections. The best organisers I've seen have had maybe keywords, have had probably that sort of graphic organiser elements to it. So using sort of different methods of organising ideas according to, you know, whether it's sort of a hierarchy diagram or whether it's sort of, you know, your fishbone, whatever it is, where you have sort of, and, you know, that's the way I see it in like English, for example, in Lit, if you're teaching a novel and you have sort of a diagram which goes through the plot of a particular novel or a plot of a particular chapter or sort of character development. Now, that's me speaking to a history teacher who's never taught an English lesson in my life and is therefore probably talking out of my backside. At least I'm not sat on it. Um, like Julian Keegan claims we all are. Sorry to bag Natrav again. Um I mean, Mark, you're an English teacher. Is what I'm saying at all at all applicable to your? Yeah, subject? absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, and there, like you said, there are different ways of doing it, different styles, and you've got to kind of um, go for different um, uh, different approaches that work better for different students as well. So I try and kind of mix it up a bit. So we, you know, sometimes I might do like a, a comic strip, so it's similar to the kind of thing that you might see in the back of the CGP books. You know, they have these kind of quirky little comic strips where they get the students to make their own with the quotations, the key scenes, that kind of thing, for example. Um, or do like a yeah, like you say, a character arc, 
or uh, do something where there's like a, a target as well. So you've got a quotation in the middle um, or a theme in the middle or a character in the middle and then you work out a bit like, um, uh, what do they call it? Explode the text, that kind of thing. So something that is going to be, again, like I said, it, using a mixture of things. If you just come up with a standard template and use the same thing for every text every time, it very quickly becomes very dull and repetitive for, well, for the teachers as well as the, st uh, the students. So I have a question here, Tom, right? Okay, and, and, and Mark, maybe Lucy as well, is when was the last, most recent time, right, that we heard of someone, or maybe you saw someone sharing on Twitter, whatever, there, or X, um, then a knowledge organiser? Because I think of it very much now as a, a pre-COVID thing. Maybe everyone just did them all over COVID, and once they're done, they're done, and they've become static. But those ones that I'm talking about there, where they're centrally stored, printed out the same for everyone, those knowledge organisers, either they have died a natural death or um, everyone's written them and is not changing them. I wonder if anyone on their inset today had time, or yet this week, has had time to relook at their knowledge organisers. Was that one of the tasks anyone has done? And if not, why not? Is it because we've fixed them in time or we've forgotten about them and we've moved on to the next edu fad, maybe making you know, uh, tube station maps out of our curriculum maps again? I think knowledge organisers are probably on their way out. I think they've certainly peaked and are on the way down. I don't think they've died a death. I think, you know, uh, but the, you know, as people will say, it's one of those classic quotes. I can never remember who it is. It's either Christine Council or Mary Myatt. Curriculum is never finished. It's an ever-evolving, ever-changing process. I know as a history teacher, looking at our key stage three this year, there are elements of it which is different to key, to key stage three last year, and therefore you will need to adapt knowledge organisers or make one from scratch in some cases. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure that this idea that we've made them and therefore we don't need to change them i'm not sure that's entirely true in all cases i think it's just that it is a bit of a fad and it peaked around 2019 2020 and they're now just on their way out to sort of we've got other things other sort of what's the word we're looking for low effort high impact strategies like you know whatever they might be scaffolding model modeling etc and actually knowledge organizers aren't having that sort of impact but other strategies are so attentions have sort of shifted that's my view of it so i don't think it's this idea that we've made them and we're happy it's just that we're looking at other things now and that's one of the big problems of education it's this idea that we have to move on all of the time and you know we don't actually give always give enough time for strategies to actually be fully embedded in our schools lucy you um seem to be reacting to that one would you for those of you who can't see lucy because you're listening back lucy just explain your thoughts on that and why you seem so excited um, well, no, because I'm just agreeing with you about how we, we these things, the number of things that come and go. I mean, I've only been teaching, this is my eighth year, and I've already seen, I mean, I can't even remember, I was trying to sort of think about what's what's come and gone in that time, but it's a lot, it's a lot of stuff, it's a lot of stuff. Um, I have never used a knowledge organiser, or at least I've never used them with students. Um, I am a primary teacher. The only time I've ever used them is for me, actually, just to kind of have a... Uh, a sort of overview and kind of think about things I, I need to include literally just as a very kind of um, well these are the kind of the pre-made ones that exist for for primary subjects um, just to kind of give me a rough idea sort of of, of what to what to include and maybe what I what I need to cover but I've certainly never ever handed one to a to a primary pupil um, 
for what for them to do what stick it in the front of the sort of topical unit that we're doing to never to be looked at again nah yeah i mean it's one of those things isn't it when you look at beautiful books and you give them all of you know glossaries as well you know if you're going to give a child something you've got to make sure they actually use it particularly uh, at primary it's, 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 particularly you know, at of... primary you know it might make it might make a very useful missile for um, a um, <laughs> civil war which breaks out within the class um is okay that, tom, tom tom right going back to insects did anyone get given a teaching and learning knowledge organizer no, uh, I have no. never been given a teaching and learning knowledge organiser. A, a school improvement plan knowledge organiser. Or have has everyone just been handing out, here are all the slides, I've emailed everyone the PowerPoint. Or, you know, this is where we have this disconnect that I'm talking about between what we do for children, what we do for staff, what is good teaching and learning, is it a fad, is it not? But if you, you, know, if you can't be bothered to do it for your staff, why are we doing it for the kids? Lindsay has joined us. Lindsay is an assistant head teacher for teaching and learning and will therefore be able to give us a very well informed <laughs> perspective on knowledge organisers and other organisers as well and possibly even insects. So Lindsay, oh, over to good you. Good evening. I've been quietly listening along um, because I wrote my CPD inset schedules for today and tomorrow. Um, so it's really interesting to hear your thoughts because I'm the creator in my school of the plan. Um, In terms of knowledge organisers, I'm at a secondary school and I'm a mathematician and I do think that they have got, they are worthwhile documents, but possibly because of the nature of my subject. Um, So in key stage four, you've got a whole heap of need to know formulae um, for GCSE and and that, that lends itself really nicely um, to things like that. And, but I do think that it has to be a whole, a whole school approach. So we have a whole school approach with knowledge organisers and I think they can be found on our website as well. So parents can, we've got parents that are really engaged and they want to support their children with their learning. And I think having things like that on the website is actually really helpful to them. Um, and it helps them to support their children at home as well. Um, so I'm I'm a bit pro knowledge organizer. Uh, I was going to say, um, yeah, I get the point uh, uh, about the formulae etc. Mm-hmm. and having those, and you know, and you know, as a way, you know, very important in maths. I was also going to say a point um, that was made earlier about the about particularly non-specialist teaching and how Lucy was talking about having a sort of an aid memoir for a teacher. Um, it can be very important. Weird, weirdly, anybody who's sort of been following the teacher recruitment and retention process might be quite surprised by what I have to say um, in the next 10 seconds. We have a shortage of history teachers this year um, in our school, and we've got a lot of non-specialists teaching history. Um, and there are some quite complicated topics and some quite complicated concepts which come across. So provide, you know, so one of the things we're doing, rather than providing a knowledge organiser, so to speak, is we're providing sort of a one-page summary of a teacher's guide, if you like, of here's the le- here are the lessons, here's the overarching themes, here are the things they need to know. One might call it a knowledge organiser. It's not a knowledge organiser I'd give to a student. It's a very much sort of a teacher's guide of you're teaching this, this is what you need to know about this in order to communicate it to students. Some people might call that a knowledge organiser. Nathan, would you call that a knowledge organiser? Uh, you know, I think this bleeding between stuff 
is 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 really like a summary you know the in-depth thing uh, i think of you know uh, there are uh, sketch notes that certain people do an account you know that you can follow on twitter and, and which i really like and they help explain things in a different way i really like that visual style of presenting it in a different way i just don't know like what is a knowledge organizer my experience of a knowledge organizer and this was from primary i would say but what lindsay described there as this 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 powerful statement kind of of what would be included that was helpful to everyone not necessarily just the students but we used to have ours on the website as well and parents could look at it other year groups could look at it it was you know just a quick reference to help engage help understand and and you know they could be used for revision of some sort but that's not really how primary works in the same way um and i found that part of it like maybe it's not a knowledge maybe it's like a summary document maybe it's you know like or a map or something i don't know but we're all using different things and calling them uh the same word maybe maybe that's where the problem is this kind of slippage of what we think so long i I think so long as across your school you're consistent with what the staff understand that particular school's knowledge organizer to be so at our school we we set parameters and we said it has to be no more than a side of a4 um and and we we set very definite parameters so that you don't have this sudden imbalance where you know the history key stage four curriculum is whopping and so their knowledge organizers could be huge um there's a balance um and you know the other thing is you know when we had high high levels of absence they're really useful because students can use them as revision materials um and access them from home i think the thing is that if we can't define what a knowledge organizer actually is we can't put it into staff room 101 and also the sense I've got from people who have spoken is there is no real popular sentiment for putting knowledge organisers into staff room 101 because they've been found to be useful um, for students, for teachers, etc. And we may as well leave them out because but I think perhaps like over-reliance on knowledge organisers, over-reliance on PowerPoints, over-reliance on anything in education is a big problem. And some, and the question is always if a student has memorized everything on a knowledge organizer, are they going to perform perfectly in any assessments they may have to do? No, not necessarily because it's how they then go on to interpret that, interpret that and utilize that, which determines that. Nathan, are we putting knowledge organizers into staff in 101? I'm saying no. And, and I am persuaded by, you know, the way. Uh, Lindsay's described it like it is up to you I hope that when I liked them least was when they seemed to be taking up the most amount of everyone's time and they they had you know they were they in their initial like you say 2019 2020 and they were massive things and and taking up and everyone seemed to be working on I didn't like them then but they seem to have settled down into just a just a thing that we do and schools have got their own way of doing it or their own way of using it it's just yeah explaining to everyone what's expected from this uh, unit of work and, and recording it somewhere is a good thing. And I, I like them at the level they're at now, as long as they don't peak again and take over education. I, I like them where they are. Keep them. So knowledge organisers then, 
are staying out of Staff Room 101. I think we are agreed on that. I want, them binned. I want them binned for primary, so I'm going to caveat what I'm saying by saying from a primary point of view, I don't... Well, I mean, I, I have never used them as a primary teacher. I might get shot down in flames for this, but I just... Not not for students. For for me, great. For them, something that's going to be stuck in the... I think, Sven, for our, um, secondary, for our secondary colleagues amongst us, we're keeping knowledge organisers... Outside of Staff Room 101, it's our, is it our first rejection of the night? I think uh, so. Yeah, first save. So there we go. Knowledge organisers survive for another day. It's great time for me to tell you that Pearson Edex Elderly Student-Centred Fred Sherman and Spanish 2024 GCSE is catered to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying region and learn language knowledge their assessments are transparent and accessible allowing all students to showcase their language skills for inclusive and relatable content the new peers and mfl gcse's build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world you want to find out more go to go.pearson.com forward slash mfl what is next for staff room 101 i have a list it was nine to one grading. Basically, number grades was um, our next candidate. So saying you've got a nine or a seven or a five or whatever it is. Do you know what, Tom? I don't say it. Do you know why? Because you're teaching Wales. Because I'm teaching Wales and we've still got letter grades. Well, this so... is a problem. Wales still has letters. The IGCSE sometimes ha- still has letters. Scotland, I, I apologise, I have no idea what it's like in Scotland. Um, Northern Ireland, I n- need somebody like Andrea to come on and tell me what it's like in Northern Ireland. But, yeah, this is inconsistent approach to grading, which means that, basically, parents, especially parents, don't have a clue what any of it means. And the solution is, bring back letters the problem is, Tom, is that we just reinvent the same thing. And I will give you the example from the primary world where we got rid of grades, right? In primary, there was this like uh, um, getting rid of uh, levels, life without levels. That's what it was. It was something like that, life without levels. This is back in like maybe 2014, 2015. And we got rid of them. And it used to be that you had like a level six was was above greater you know more better level five was about where it should be level four was below and so we got rid of them because we didn't like this we didn't like numbers we didn't like grading kids in that way it was a problem you know everyone was fixated on it or how do you move from a five to a six problem 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 so what we do is we're going to have life about levels no levels and what we did almost immediately was we went you know what we're going to have kids who are at the expected standard at the greater depth standard and and the ones who are below the expected standard and we're going to kind of uh, subdivide those up as well. And we just reinvented levels. And this is what I feel has happened at secondary in England, is they went, right, we want to do something radical and different. We're going to get rid of grades, actually. We're going to do this. And they just reinvented the same thing. And that just makes it even more grating. Because what's the top What's the top number? Nathan, it is a nine, correct. Okay, and is that equivalent to like an A? No, it's equivalent to an A star. Okay, so a, a bit a star. So a grade eight encompasses sort of the bottom of the A stars and the top of the A. Yeah. 
The seven is sort of the rest B A. Yeah. A six is essentially a B. Mm-hmm. A five is a strong C. Yeah. A four is a low C. Right. And then apparently the rest of it is fails, but they're not a failure. If you get a one, a two, or a three, you're not a failure. It's a qualification. Look, kids, it's a level if, one qualification. Look, if you are listening, do not let these people tell you. If you worked hard for it and that is the level you have worked for, you are not. I, I hate that. You know, I work with people who get level ones. It is not, if it is the grade that you have worked for and you have tried for and you've put in the effort for it, it is, there is no failure. If, as long as it can get you to the next place you want to be, you know, or the next step, then there, there is, you know, a pool. I hate that language in education. So, but essentially, my point stands is essentially it's the same thing, Tom. There, there's no like magical difference to it, is there? Well, the, so let's talk about the reason why the numbers were brought in. Basically, the government wanted to differentiate. The government complained about grade inflation, this idea that too many students are getting the top grades. So they wanted to introduce the nine as a way of essentially differentiating between the creme de la creme and just the creme. Um, And also the fact that nine was the top number and it wasn't one at the top and then nine at the bottom meant that in future, if there was more grade inflation, they could then include more grades. So they could perhaps introduce the grade 10 if they wanted to, to differentiate further. Um, so the new the number system was brought in because of the students at the very top. Whereas I feel as if it just mean makes everything else relatively meaningless. And we'd be, you know... You know, letters, parents understand what letters mean. I still get asked by parents and at parents' evening and even by students, oh, I've got a grade six. What does that mean? Well, it's a B in old okay. language. Tom, uh, I want to, like, c- c- contrast this because there are other subjects, you know, like BTECs and things like that, where they have less uh, categories, right? So you can get a pass, a merit, a distinction, something like that. You can have three things and still have got the qualification, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not quite. I, I'm I'm not 100 sure how BTEC etc. works. I know you have distinctions and merits and yeah, so deep stars and whatever they are. But the, but there are there are less things. Do we need to do? Why do we need to sift the children in such a way? You know, why is the system like insistent uh, on sifting the children in such a way that we have to? Oh, but I have to know if they are the creme de la creme. Are they the best of the best? You know, is it, do, do we have to fine level them in such a way? Can it not be pass, really good pass? You know, why do we need to know? And, and what is it in our system? What is it in our, in our thinking that, that means we need to go, right, yeah, actually, yeah, you met the expected standard. That's great. In primary, it is that. It's the mm. expected standard or greater depth. You did, you did really good. There's literally two levels to a pass. Yeah. You know, there is that. Why does secondary insist on then going actually we need like nine different levels so that we can really tell these kids apart we we really need to work out who the creme did the you know we really need to rank these children in order well it's the same with offset and with schools as well isn't it you know you have outstanding and you have good let's face it if you i mean it seems like lots of schools are good these days but one of my predictions is they're going to split up the good into two categories to further differentiate the schools which are strong goods and sort of less strong goods 
so good going on outstanding or good going on RI, I think another category might come into play, especially if we continue to have a conservative government for the next couple of years. Um, but but let's, let's look at other things. What about degrees? There's like four categories for a degree, right? There's like yeah. a third, a two, two, a two, one and a first. Right, and there's probably some other nice bits you can get on that, but I'm sure we can have first or a high like, like you know you can be like the uh, the person who has like an extra cap or something. I'm, I'm like there's things that happen. What about like a doctor's doctorate thing? You know, surely there's not so many levels. I don't understand why this insistence at, at um, secondary in, in key stage four and key stage five we insist on seeing them in so many different little boxes that we have to grade them I think, in. Um, you know, what... I think it has, I, I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the numbers because, I mean, every parent's evening I find myself translating back to the, to the letters for the parents. But I would say, having been in many conversations today, that it has a place when you're talking about whether or not a child um, can move on to take your course at Key Stage 5. Um, because if you had, say, three different categories, um, that that's quite crude and and quite broad. And mm. the jump up from, I mean, I'm talking as a mathematician here, but the jump up from GCSE to A-levels is huge. And we, we're not prepared to let a student make that jump if we don't think that it, they're capable of seeing out the two years um, because we're you know, thinking about their well-being. So we do say, if you want to do A-level maths, you need to have a seven um, because we do need to know who, you know, the, the brighter the ones are. And, and that fine grading, if you like, does help us to identify that. Mm. I was about to ask you what your grade requirement was for A-level yeah. maths because in most seven. cases now it's a grade seven. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting when you actually dig down, and Lindsay, you'll know far more about this than me. I only saw it in passing. What a grade seven actually means in maths, in terms of grade boundaries, yeah. in terms of what a student is able to do, what you know, they're still getting a significant part of a GCSE higher maths paper wrong. Yes. And to say, well, and actually, from that perspective, you, you've got less than seven to say, well, actually, you'll get even more than that wrong. You don't have the foundations required to actually have a good stab at A-level maths. Yeah. It's interesting for me as a po as somebody who leads on politics. Obviously, it's a subject they haven't done at GCSE because you can't do a GCSE in politics. Um, you know, our entry requirements are, well, we want you to have a grade five in history or geography or a grade six in religious studies, because apparently it's easy to get a grade in um, RS and it is in history geography. And we want you to have that grade five, um, i.e. a strong pass, in the words of Nick Gibb, um, in English language. Because if you have anything less than that, then you're not going to be able to cope with the writing element of politics. You know, history. Um, but again, in, in history... We had a student who, you know, got a grade four at GCSE who ended up getting an A um, in A-level history, the way things sort of work. Uh, you know, one of my proudest, you know, proudest moments this summer was a student who, um, you know, got fours and fives on teacher-assessed grades, um, who ended up walking away with um, ABB, a place at university, at Russell Group University. Um, and if this remark goes away, they'll get an A-star in politics. So a lot of the time, you know, students go through a lot of barriers and a lot of problems at GCSE. And I do sometimes feel as if there should possibly be a case-by-case -case basis in some cases of some, you know, 
the student, you've missed out on this grade. But if you can do this, this and this and show us that actually you can do, um, you know, you can meet the demands of the A-level, we can let you in. And I think from a sequel perspective, that's where things like transition work um, fit in quite nicely, because you could have a student who's got a grade seven in maths, who actually, when it comes to some of the, you know, sort of, or, or I don't want to talk about maths because it's not my specialism, but in history, you could have a student who gets a grade seven in history, but when it comes to the step up required for A-level, actually doesn't really have the right skill set for it and it's you know something that can be taught but it's much more difficult anyway i feel as if i've gone on a massive tangent so nathan where on earth were we uh, i i i just don't understand it do you know what i mean and uh, you guys talking about it there just makes me think like we have got a messy system right if you're saying that like to get onto a level a seven in this subject but a five in this subject but six in this subject it sounds messy, like uh, inconsistency. And that must be, I, I think, incredibly difficult for um, for parents and, and for students as well to, to kind of get their head around what they need to achieve um, and what is good and what is not. And I don't know, like, I, as I said, I don't have the answers to how you would make this situation simpler. But if you were able to say, okay, you know, you get above this, means you, you're ready for a level below this means you need some more work before you're ready for that level of work but also different like, places will have different entry requirements yeah. and i'm not sure how common it is but you know in some places to do a level history they might say well you need a grade six in other places you know and they might somebody might go well actually in the college down the road we only need a grade five so why can't you i want to come here so why can't you take me for grade five so it can cause significant issues i mean there's a whole other thing to say about sort of you know how many marks you actually have to get on an a-level paper to get a certain grade in politics it's very low as mark might be able to tell us in english literature it's ridiculously high it's about 95 percent for an a star or something um mark you wanted to talk yeah i was just gonna uh, i think my issue with i agree entirely that if you're looking at the the exam results graded and um the use in predict um use in predicting or um, guiding students as to where they're going next. Absolutely, I think they are essential. We need to have that level of differentiation between them, but or distinction between them. But I think in terms of my problem with the grades is um, earlier on in the GCSE courses or the, the A-level courses, that they cause either too much anxiety or um, complacency. So students will put themselves under a lot of pressure Obviously, you want students to push themselves, but it can cause, um, like I say, anxiety in the students. Or you get those students who say, well, I've got a five, that's all I need, so I'm not going to bother doing any work anymore. So the, 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 my issue with the grades is lower down. Right? That's where I think that uh, simplified version would be better in terms of um, assessing the students as they build up to their exams. Yeah, oh, I think that's a valid point. Um... Yeah, I mean, I've heard from a lot of students who've gone, oh, well, I'm going to, I need to get my four in English language and maths and in science and then something else. And I don't care about your subjects. So I'm not going to bother and I don't care if I get one. Um, yeah. And then. And how many times as well do you, you know, you give. Twos and threes in everything. And I'm yeah. like, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, you know, I, I, under no circumstances should I be like, I told you so because this is your future that you've screwed up here. And how many times I as well do you give back an assessment and all you get is a, a classroom full of students saying, what did you get, what did you get, what did you get? And then they're not looking at the feedback. They're not looking at how they can improve or how they can 
build up, uh, improve their score. All they care about is what they've got and that's it. So I think if we take that away, at that stage at least, then um, that would potentially be more beneficial to them focusing on the skills that they need to, to go up a level um, and you can give them a kind of a rough ballpark figure of what it is they need. And then later on, perhaps, as they approach the exams, you can give them a more of a concrete um, answer. I don't know. This is we, we, I was discussing this uh, today, funnily enough, in the inset, and we were talking about the pros and cons of it. So, Also, grades are, you know, actually quite difficult to predict, certainly for individual students. At a cohort level, prediction should be okay. But I've got I've requested some of the scripts back from this summer and the variation in marking, you know, not just really harsh but also very generous. It's been quite extreme. And I did predict this. I remember sitting on the weekly review and offending a few people back in June when I said, look, the quality of marking this year across a number of subjects is going to be incredibly poor. It's not the examiner's fault. It's because there's a lack of QA from higher up and because the examiners aren't paid any near enough to do the marking and are therefore not going to take the time and attention that they ought to and it's not their fault and we've seen that I think in a lot of the marking and you know it averages out at cohort levels you know some will be marked more generously some will be marked more harshly but um, it's not always about cohort it's about individuals and it's about individual stories and the fact that you know I've had one student who's missed out on a grade A because of some really shoddy marking on one of the papers and they probably missed out on 11 or 12 marks um, you know because the marking was very poor you know it really wrangles but getting back to sort of where we were because the thing that was going to go into staff room 101 or was being proposed was nine to one grading so we're not saying get rid of grades entirely we're saying go back to letters and the rationale behind the nine to one was to differentiate at the top end uh, between your very top students and your top students but it just doesn't make sense for a lot of people so the question is and i suppose this is where we do thumbs up and thumbs down Thumbs up if you would like to replace nine to one grading with the back to the letters, the A star, A, etc. Put your thumb down if you'd like to keep the nine to one grading. I'm going to do a quick scan of a room. I shan't cold call anyone. The overwhelming consensus seems to be go back to letters. Are you listening, DFE? You know what to do. So Nine to one grading, Nathan, is in staff room one oh one. Good. Good. Now update on Gillian Keegan. Um Nicola Murray is currently trending on Twitter. Um, who is those, she? Who is she? For those of you who aren't aware of who Nicola Murray is, she of course was the very hapless um cabinet minister slash leader of the opposition from um the thick of it starring Malcolm Tucker, Peter Capaldi. Um so yeah known for many media gaps uh, so yeah Nicola Murray's currently trending um, Gillian Keegan just seems to be going into digging herself into a much bigger hole with every hour that passes um, we've got one more thing for staff room 101 Nathan what do we reckon we yeah, are yeah. No, do 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 one more but we'll do it quick we'll do it speed quick. round yeah speed round make speed it, make, speed make, round. Make it uh, an angry one Something right small. Tom the way you've got to do this is you've got a minute to pitch it and then vote. So on my list, we have, as the last thing for Staff Room 101, 
absolutist approaches to behaviour, which is a problem because that is not something we can do quickly. We need a good half hour to talk about that. But what I'm saying of the people who go, restorative, 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 that's it. Or sanctions, 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 that's it. Doesn't matter about relationships. Make sure you just got systems in place. I think these people are far rarer than some people on edgy Twitter would give credit to. I see a lot of people calling people like Tom Bennett, for example, zero tolerance. He's not zero tolerance, actually. If you've read some of his books, you recognise he's got a far more nuanced approach to behaviour than many people give him credit for. And at the same time, you've got people like Paul, you know, Paul Dix, people sort of write them off as being, you know, all la-di-da, etc. But actually, they do actually advocate a far more balanced approach. But there are some people who, you know, take this sort of absolutist approach to behaviour. I mean, it'd be very interesting to hear, we've got a few people in the space tonight, um, whether, you know, in your inset day that you had this year or in the last few months, somebody stood in front of you, you as a staff body and mentioned the words trauma-informed practice, because that seems to be the going thing at the moment. And a lot of people, you know, are talking about trauma-informed practice. But I had this conversation the other day. A lot of people are sort of putting in other things and calling it trauma-informed practice, whereas actually they don't necessarily have the required domain knowledge of what actually, you know, adverse childhood experiences, trauma-informed practice are, etc. Nathan, I know you work in, you know, AP, um, and you'll be working with students who will bring, be bringing traumatic experiences. Um, but th- this is why, you know, it's trauma-informed and it's research-informed, and I feel I can be both, you know, and they, they sometimes get positioned. But the, the, the reason I think some people position them this way is because it's it's easier to, to kind of stereotype and hold up a kind of absolutist thing uh, for ridicule, whereas I don't think anyone is like that because humans aren't like that. You know, I, I, I am like, yeah, I, I, I often joke that I, you know, I, I am on the, like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a hippie at heart, aren't I? I'm, a, I'm out on my paddleboard surfing. And, uh, but I, I do do like all of this stuff, rules, expectations, all of these things are, are, are there as well. And I, you know, I, I, I would be with you on this. I would, I, I would, I'm yet to meet someone who is as, uh, maybe the word is extreme it's as absolute you know and i was trying to think they're like absolutism absolutely something and maybe like we we, someone can come up with a a phrase around that but i don't think they exist i think they are a figment of the opposition in the arguments imagination whichever side you're on no one is saying that no one is saying don't let you know let a child wet themselves in class and no one is saying forgive a child for everything they do, I th- you know, I, I, I think they're a figment of someone's imagination. My view on behaviour is simple. Whatever your system is, whatever your approach is, if it doesn't support your ECT1 on a pit last thing on a Friday, and if it doesn't support your supply teachers coming in for, on their first day at your school, then it doesn't work as a system. You need a system that ensures that, you know, the teachers and the staff and the supply who need it the most can can actually teach their classes and if your system doesn't work for those people it's not a system that works and that's my view and that's why i don't think absolutist approaches work but also this is why i don't like people who say well it behaves about relationships because if you are external supply and you turn up 
you know, you don't have a relationship with any of those children. You expect it to teach them. So, you know, a system based on relationships alone cannot work. But then again, sort of your zero tolerance. I, I'm not sure if I've... It's one of those things that's like, well, yeah, it's not zero tolerance because actually there is tolerance and there will always be, you know, exceptions made for good reasons um, where required because of additional needs or because of, you know, additional things that, you know, on a student-by-student basis... But yeah, as a system, if your system doesn't support those who need who need it the most, then it doesn't work. So what are we saying? Quick fire, absolutist approaches to behaviour. Where what are we going for it? Binum, binum, binum. Wait, I've forgotten which way we're doing this. Is thumbs down bin? It seems as if they are going into starting one. Yeah, I think bin. I think the general consensus is is bin there. So that is the end of tonight's Staff Room 101. Um, we've had a very productive hour and a half, and it's been a real pleasure to um, have had you join either as live listeners or listening back on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website, ttradio.org forward slash listen back. We do need to wrap up now because Richie Slack is on Podbean, so make sure you head on over to our website, listen live or the Podbean app, and listen to Richie Slack talking about uh, what's he talking about? I think something like online education, I think. Is it online education or sort of technology? I think it's something like that. Um, I, I, I will check for you, Tom, but I'll probably not be back in time, I'm afraid. But it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Nathan. Goodbye. Bye, and it's goodbye from Lucy. See you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.